in a moment in which the geopolitical divisions in the world are such that Bulgaria needs to stand firmly on the uh, side of the free world. That's what we need to achieve here, uh, and that is why, to a great extent, we need to make sure that we will have a government which will firmly stand on the uh, on the path of the Bulgarian continuous integration in the European Union and the Transatlantic Alliance. Think Atlantic, a series by IRI's Transatlantic Strategic Division, in which we provide you with thought leadership for the future of the transatlantic space. My name is Thibaut Muzerg, and I am your host for this show. In today's episode, we are going to talk about Bulgaria as the country is about to head to the polls on Sunday, April 4th, for legislative elections. For this, I am joined by our special guest, Daniel Mitov. Daniel served as Minister for Foreign Affairs of Bulgaria from 2014 to 2017. He has been involved since the early 2000s in Bulgaria's democratization process, uh, generally the the, the center-right in Bulgaria, and he worked for a while with our colleagues at the National Democratic Institute, or NDI, and he is now a candidate for the legislative elections. Daniel, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today in the last days of the campaign, and welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Thibault. It's uh, always a pleasure to hear from you and uh, have a conversation with you, and I hope we will be helpful for our listeners. Great. Thank you, uh, Daniel. So, uh, Daniel, let's dive straight into election period and the election campaign. This podcast is being recorded and it is going to come out just a couple of days before polling day. So whenever you, the listener, are listening to it, do not expect us to tell you who won and why, because at this stage, neither I nor Daniel know. But we are going, of course, to speculate together about the f- what the future can hold for Bulgaria. Before we do that, Daniel, I, I would like to start off by talking about the, the party system at large, because for the, the past 10 to 15 years, Bulgaria has had a rather stable party system with the contest for power being basically between uh, Boyko Borisov's center-right EPP uh, member party, Citizens for the European Development of Bulgaria, also known as GERB. And on the other hand, the left of center Bulgarian Socialist Party of BCP, um, the, the electorate has largely favored GERB and Boyko Borisov over the past 10 years. Uh, uh, Borisov has been prime minister almost continuously for the past 12 years with only brief interruptions. And all the smaller parties I've had or personalities have had to evolve one way or another around this left-right configuration. Now, Daniel, you yourself belong to a constellation of, uh, of parties, of movements, so to speak, uh, that are usually around the, the center-right, as I said, but not totally inside uh, the GERB galaxy, so to speak. And, and very often, the parties that, that you have represented in the past are uh, parties that do their list separately from GERB. And yet this time, you are part of the GERB coalition and SDS, a party you used to uh, 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 to represent a long time ago, is also running into alliance with GERB at a time in which Boyko Borisov's leadership seems to be more contested than it, it was recently, and that includes anti-government protests last summer. Why did you personally go for an alliance with Boyko Borisov and GERB this time? Well, we should probably start with the with the fact and describe a little bit for our listeners uh, the evolution, the, the ups and downs of the Bulgarian centre-right. 
in the beginning of the 90s, the Union of Democratic Forces, UDF, or uh, as they're known as, as CDS, SDS, that was the, the main, the largest anti-communist pro-democratic change party. And that was the driving force of the Bulgarian evolution towards the European Union and NATO uh, for many years. Later on, UDF split in two and a new party appeared, more conservative, to which I also used to, uh, to belong, uh, called Democrats for Strong Bulgaria, DSB. Uh, and little by little, uh, with the time uh, when, when this center-right was not able uh, to return to power, it began um, splitting and splitting and, and diminishing its, uh, its influence in the Bulgarian society. At a certain point, I practically decided that this is not the way forward, and I basically went out of the Bulgarian uh, political uh, environment. And as you, as you already mentioned, I went, uh, went to work for, for NDI. Uh, now, when UDF and GERB are together, I think there is a good chance to begin a process of consolidation of the Bulgarian center right, uh, because in the... In the last more than 10 years already, GERB, little by little, has occupied uh, the, the center-right space, uh, in the good sense of the word, uh, and has uh, developed a capacity, uh, not only a governing capacity, but also a capacity to um, develop center-right approaches and set center-right policy solutions for the, the issues and the problems uh, and the challenges, challenges in front of the Bulgarian society. Practically, um, for me, that was, that was practically a natural choice for me to, to join this coalition. What I hope for is that in the future, the rest of the uh, small bits and pieces from the, from the old so-called traditional Bulgarian center-right are going to join, and uh, we will once again have a consolidated um, center-right space in, in Bulgaria, of course, with its, uh, with its differences, with its uh, arguments inside, but however, well-established, uh, and well-formed center-right, which will be able to dominate not only the center-right space, but to keep the former communists, uh, now called Socialist Party in Bulgaria, to keep them away from, uh, from power. Mm -hmm. So more a question of consolidation uh, of center-right, I see. So Indeed. Plus, plus, if I have to add something, uh, I, I, I have a nightmare right now. And my nightmare is to see the pro-Russian socialists, plus uh, some of their, again, pro-Russian potential coalition partners governing Bulgaria in a moment in which uh, the uh, geopolitical divisions in the world are such that Bulgaria needs to stand firmly on the, uh, on the uh, side of the free world. Mm. Uh, that's, uh, that, that's what we need to achieve here. Uh, and that is why, to a great extent, we need to make sure that we will have a government which will firmly stand on the uh, on the path of the Bulgarian continuous integration in the European Union and tran the Transatlantic Alliance. So that's super interesting, and we'll get back to the the, the foreign policy of of, of Bulgaria in uh, towards the the end the end of the show. But I think this is interesting because in so many countries we are seeing. Uh, talks or we're hearing about you know the end of the old left-right divide and it seems to be very very present in uh, in Bulgaria still with one uh, little caveat which is that if the polls that 
we see today are right. And again, I always say on this show that the polls are not always right. But if the polls today has, are, are right, it looks like no party, none of these two parties, basically, that are, that are dominating the, the political scene in Bulgaria, either GERB or, or uh, the Socialist Party, neither of these parties will have an absolute majority in parliament, which means that whoever gets to power will eventually have to form an alliance with smaller parties that will make it into parliament. And, and we don't know which are those parties. I mean, there are obvious candidates like the movements, the Movement for Right and Freedoms, the DPC, which is a liberal party, has been in parliament for years and represents the, the country's uh, Turkish minority and beyond, at least originally. There's also a new party called There is Such a People, led by Slavi Trifonov, uh, which is a big unknown because we don't really know much about its politics, apart from the message that uh, the party is anti-system. There might be other parties that will make it uh, on the centre-right, not necessarily affiliated with GERB. We, we, we talked about it with, uh, with with you, Daniel, just a moment ago. And then there is the far-right, which has always been there in, in Bulgarian politics. They are uh, often known for anti-NATO, anti-Western, sometimes pan-Slavic rhetoric. Last time around, Boyko Borisov decided to to go into an alliance with some of these far-right parties, and, and that has had implication on Bulgarian politics, also its foreign policy. We'll, we'll talk about North Macedonia in a moment. But my question is, where uh, does Boyko Borisov find a majority after the elections, does he go again with the parties on the what I would call the far right, frankly, uh, and and that's going to have consequences internally and externally? Does he try to go towards the center? Does he try to go uh, with Trifonov or, or with someone else? What do you see on the options that are uh, at the disposal of uh, Boyko Borisov if he is to remain in power? When we speak about about potential configurations, it will be always a speculation on our side uh, to mm, sure. reason about these things uh, before before we have the results of the elections. Uh, the problem in Bulgaria is that always uh, before the uh, before the elections, during the election campaign, parties tend to make certain uh, strong commitments, which later on they figure out that they cannot keep. Quite often, we hear from political parties in Bulgaria, especially the ones uh, which are running on certain type of anti-establishment uh, platforms, uh, that they're never under any circumstances going to form coalition with current government, uh, with the current majority, the party which has uh, current dominant positions in the, uh, in the parliament. And then after the elections, usually happen, happens exactly the opposite. Mm -hmm. This has been part of our political uh, life for so many years that I don't think anyone right now really believes that. The people have seen uh, many, many times parties who have uh, declared that they're not going to be part of any, any future governing coalition with GERB or with the BSP to that extent. And then they have, uh, when they get in, in parliament, uh, they realize that without talks uh, around priorities and without talks around uh, future government constellations, uh, they become practically useless in, in that part. And they do enter in, in coalition and they do enter in talks and that, that's how democracy functions. Uh, you, you can't possibly uh, run all the time on, uh, I'm not going to talk to anyone and I'm the purest ideologically and programmatically. Uh, the purest uh, good, and then when you have uh, five, six percent uh, and twenty members of parliament out of two hundred and forty, uh, you can't expect to to have any relevance 
if you don't talk to the others and if you and if you don't uh, enter into a conversation. So uh, what the polls are uh, showing uh, us at this very moment is that the coalition uh, led by the prime minister, GERB, uh, UDF, is going to, to, to be the most popular um, after the, the upcoming elections on, on Sunday. The biggest question is how big is going to be the distance between uh, GERB, UDF coalition and the Socialist Party? That's where the, uh, the, the intrigue lies. Uh, on, on the one hand. Uh, on the other hand, uh, we know that MRF, the Movement for Rights and Freedoms, which you mentioned, is going to be in the parliament. The, 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 the party called There, there is Such People, uh, led by Slavi Trifonov, uh, also will be there with a significant presence. You, you are absolutely correct by saying that we don't know much about their, their future potential behavior and, and their their policies and what they exactly would uh, would like to uh, to see implemented. Uh, I mean, they have their programmatic uh, declarations, but um, they are a little bit a little bit vague. Uh, so that enigma should be should be uh, decoded after the the elections and after the constellations in the parliament are uh, clear. Then we have um, several big unknowns. The uh, a coalition called Democratic Bulgaria, which is uh, which consists of uh, smaller bits and pieces uh, of, of the former centre-right, uh, are also um, with big chances to be part of the parliament with, with around 5%. Uh, then we have several other parties which might or might not cross the threshold. We have uh, the nationalists you mentioned, uh, which might uh, cross the threshold or might stay out. Uh, we have uh, another formation, which again uh, is anti-establishment one, and we are not really sure whether it's going to be in or out. And that is valid for for several uh, several others. Um, it is it, it makes a huge difference to have a five-party parliament or to have a, an eight-party parliament, even if the part of the uh, part of those parties will be very small. Uh, and, and will have separately insignificant uh, number of members of parliament, but when they are three or four, then they form kind of a, already uh, a relevant block of, uh, of parliamentary representation. The future government depends to a great extent on how many parties will be, will be there in the parliament, mm. uh, who they will be, and I would not engage myself right now in any type of prediction of what kind of government we will have. The only thing I know is that uh, when the passions, the election campaign passions uh, die out after uh, April 4th, then we will need to sit down and talk. And a lot of those who say right now that we uh, are no, not going to enter into uh, any type of coalition with GERB, uh, are going to be to be in front of a dilemma. Uh, what are we doing here in the parliament uh, if we don't if we don't talk to 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 anyone um, and and we just stay stay aside and and watch and and wait for something else to happen? Uh, it's clear that with five or six percent, you can't have much much of a chance to form to form a government and have your uh, your program uh, and your priorities being being in the center of the uh, of the governmental agenda. Um, there are potential coalition partners, of course, for GERP. 
but uh, the talks will be, I would say, complicated. Sure. So it's a, in a, another campaign that's starting on, uh, on on Sunday evening, right after the the, the, the polls closes, and, and I guess that's the beauty of, of parliamentary democracy, and that that gives me the the occasion to uh, to come out with two of my favorite quotes in uh, in European politics. The first one is from uh, Bismarck, who uh, compared diplomacy and also, I guess, politics to sausage making. Uh, you want to see uh, you want to see and taste <laughs> the end product, but you don't want to see how it's made. Uh, and the other one is, which probably is my favorite actually, uh, from Georges Clemenceau, who uh, uh, talked about you know traitors and and, and and had very, uh, very strong terms for them because he was himself a, a several time relapsed traitor. And he he once said that uh, a, a traitor is one uh, is a person who goes from one party to another. A convert is one who goes from one party to yours, and that makes a big difference. So I guess uh, there might be there might be uh, some converts on after after election day. But Daniel, if, if that's okay with you, I, I'd like to move away a little bit from elections and, and talk about the larger issues that Bulgaria is is facing and there's there's quite a few actually because looking at the at the numbers they're not looking good for Bulgaria in general I mean they're not looking good for for Europe uh, if you ask me in general but it's, it's not looking good for Bulgaria it's been 14 years now since Bulgaria has joined the European Union still considered the uh, poorest country within the Union with the uh, lowest GDP uh, per capita uh, in the Union and the numbers that, are, that I'm going to give are, are, are not ours, but they are nonetheless coming from respected organizations. And they're, they're very negative. Transparency International's 2020 Corruption uh, Perception Index ranked Bulgaria as the most corrupt country member of the European Union, together with Romania and Hungary. Reporters Without Borders uh, in their 2020 annual edition of the World Press Freedom Index called Bulgaria the black sheep of the EU. Uh, that's in quotes, of course, with the lowest standards of press freedom in the in, in the union all, all these indicators are, are pretty bad and although it, it would be easy to blame a specific government for these bad numbers surely that the, there is a bigger problem or rather a set of problems here what would you say are the top three problems with bulgaria right now and in an ideal world how would you daniel mitov fix them well look uh <laughs> I'm Very really large sure question. How, I'm not. I'm not really sure how how many podcasts we need to record <laughs> on 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 solving all these issues. Oh, let's stick with one problem. Then. Right. Uh, look, what what I can uh, say uh, is is the following. Uh, sure, we, we we do have our problems. We know them. Uh, they're indicated. Uh, some sometimes those are a little bit exaggerated, but we do have our issues. We don't run away from them. Uh, I personally have no problem of admitting that. We do need to uh, fix for sure certain certain levels of transparency of our institutions, uh, which is the way to fight corruption. And uh, transparency and accountability need to be guiding principles when it comes to when it comes to uh, fixing those those perceptions, uh, which uh, you you quoted a minute ago. That's that's one thing. Uh, the the biggest issue for me is. The, the system of our um, the, the the system of our rule of law let's say all, all the components of our uh, rule of law system this is something we have been talking about for I would say I mean it's been a problem for the last thirty years uh, of course but uh, we've been talking of seriously fixing the issues with our uh, judiciary system uh, for for at least twenty years. 
various governments have done some of them huge efforts even to uh, to fix deficiencies there. And unfortunately, we have not been able to uh, really bring our judiciary to the point in which it would cover all the necessary democratic standards. So what, what I believe we should do is, in the next legislature, uh, what, we, uh, what we need to do is to sit down uh, and, and have some, something of a, convent, uh, of a constitutional convent. Uh, and uh, practically uh, gather, gather all the ideas which have been out there for uh, how, how to fix the judiciary in one large conversation, in one large document, identify uh, all the all the problems uh, in the different areas of our um, rule of law chain. Let's put it this way, because uh, when it comes to rule of law, it's not only the prosecutorial segment or the judicial segment. Uh, we, we we need to start with the way how law students come out uh, of the universities. With what kind of um, knowledge. Certain standards need to be set there. Then you have the police and the investigative uh, units. Uh, then you have the prosecution, which uh, is basically structured as it was during the, the communist times with, with slight slight changes. Uh, and then you have, of course, the courts, which, which have, their, have their issues as well, even if uh, we can't say that the Bulgarian uh, courts are the biggest problem in the world. But they, but they do have their, their issues and they, they do need improvement as well. So uh, what we need is a uh, holistic approach and, and uh, take a look at uh, the, the whole, all these components I already mentioned as a whole and, and basically have a national bipartisan uh, conversation around the, uh, the direction uh, in which our judiciary needs to, needs to go and take decisions after a big national debate. And, and the next parliament should, should practically introduce legislation, packages of legislation, uh, which uh, logically connect all these components I already mentioned uh, and, uh, and, and also project for constitutional amendments. Uh, because in the past we've been doing change, changes, but there were patches. There were you 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 patch here, you you cover there, uh, you you change a little bit here, you you uh, fine tune there. Uh, but all these all these bits and pieces were not really logically connected. Then comes another government; it, it does something else uh, in another area, and and again brings certain type of uh, noise in the system. Uh, we, we do need a serious, uh, serious conversation around that. It needs to be bipartisan. It needs to be in the framework of, uh, I, I, I'm calling it a constitutional convent. We can call it whatever we want, uh, but, but a, a format which col collects all the, the stakeholders, uh, a format which is transparent and hears the opinion not only of the political parties and the institutions, but hears the voice of the, the non-governmental organizations, both Bulgarian and international. Here's the voice of the academic community, both Bulgarian and, uh, and international, and uh, takes into consideration all the ideas which have been born throughout the years. Then we will be able to create a uh, holistic approach which connects all these, uh, all these elements, educational, uh, police and investigation, prosecutorial segment, and, uh, and courts. This is to me uh, one of the one of the biggest topics which has been on the table for a lot of our international partners and allies, 
this has been the conversation in the Bulgarian society as well for uh, for quite a long time. And this is something we should uh, pay a very close attention to, and and very and need to, we need to approach it very very seriously. So yeah, uh, a very uh, large question that I asked you, and I think uh, you answered in uh, a very uh, complete and holistic way, if I may say uh, so, and on an issue that is obviously uh, extremely important, not only in Bulgaria but I would say all around the region, and 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 definitely so in in, in continent. No, you're, you're absolutely right, Thibault. This is not a Bulgarian problem. This is a problem uh, which which exists in many many uh, democratic countries, and uh, unfortunately, in the last years. Uh, we have seen um, the, the expression of these issues, especially when it comes to transparency and accountability and rule of law. Uh, we have seen deficiencies even in the well-established democracies, let alone younger democracies like, uh, like those in the regions, not only Bulgaria. Uh, so uh, democracies uh, in the in the last uh, in the last decade have shown uh, deficiencies which we need to uh, to start. Uh, not only discussing more inten- in a more intensive way, but uh, to, we, we need to try and uh, find solutions for ourselves. Because again, the division, uh, the geopolitical division between democracies and, and autocratic regimes um, obliges us to uh, not only for us to defend ourselves from the, the uh, malicious influences uh, of the autocrats, uh, but also to apply our own democratic principles in practice in our own countries. Uh, we have uh, we have had uh, a lot of problems with uh, with that. Uh, they are obvious, and uh, the whole democratic community needs to look uh, inside itself and try to figure out ways how to how to fix certain certain deficiencies. Sure. So, uh, Daniel, this is actually a perfect transition to the last part of of this conversation, which which is going to be about uh, what I would call your 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 trade or your your former trade, as you were uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs of, of of Bulgaria a few years ago. Now, uh, first, before we we go back to the the, the great power competition, I, I would like to talk a little bit about the Western Balkans because uh, Bulgaria held quite successful EU Council presidency three years ago in 2018. And and during that time, Boyko Borisov and his government uh, pushed hard for the EU to put attention on, on the region, rightly so. And uh, notably, the, the Bulgarian government played a, a huge role in, a, in an agreement that was struck between Greece and North Macedonia to normalize their relations and allow North Macedonia's integration into Euro-Atlantic structures, which which immediately meant more immediately meant, meant NATO. Now, uh, North Macedonia is knocking on the EU door at the at the moment, and we find ourselves in a sort of reverse situation where the same Bulgarian government is basically blocking Macedonia's accession talks to the EU. And although the official reason is not exactly the same as for the Greeks, uh, it's still at core about nationalism and culture, right? I mean, if I understood correctly, Bulgaria would not allow negotiations to continue without North Macedonia acknowledging 
that its culture derives from Bulgaria, which for me as a Frenchman sounds a lot like asking me to recognize my culture as being actually Italian or deriving from higher German culture, which, you know, holds some truth, right? But, uh, uh, but, but you know, you don't want to, to wake up the, the evil Frenchman in me. Uh, so, I mean, we're not going to solve the problem uh, in this podcast. And I understand that this is complicated, but what do you think needs to be done at this stage to move forward uh, not only for North, North Macedonia, but more generally for, for the integration of Western Balkans in, in, in the Euro-Atlantic structures? Well, first, let's, let's put it this way. Uh, Western Balkans need to be part of the European Union. Uh, that needs to happen uh, sooner or later. Um, there, will be, well, there will be a tough road uh, to, to, to walk uh, for, for various reasons, um, but Europe will be never whole and free and democratic without the Western Balkans as integrated part of it. Uh, that's that's uh, point number one. I'm a firm believer in that, and I think uh, the the present government also is uh, a firm believer in that in that formula. Having said that, uh, yes, the Bulgarian government has done a lot in order to bring the Western Balkans integration to the Euro-Atlantic structures um, on the table. Uh, yes, we uh, we we know that this is going to happen with a different pace for different countries. Uh, and uh, when it comes to North Macedonia itself, um, you said it's complicated. And uh, now when, when you're describing your, your understanding of what Bulgaria wants, uh, I reckon myself uh, an account that we have probably failed to explain to our uh, friends and allies what exactly Bulgaria wants in this, in this situation. And that will be one of the uh, one of the higher tasks uh, for the for the next government, for sure, to explain better and way more precisely um, the the Bulgarian position here. Um, but but what, what do they want then? Well, my personal uh, understanding is that Bulgaria doesn't challenge at all the uh, identity of the people uh, living in North Macedonia right now. Uh, we can't solve um, contemporary problems with historical arguments, and that is, that is clear. Yes, history is there, yes, there are certain facts, but uh, they need to be solved in bilateral basis. One of the, one of the uh, obligations which Bulgaria has is not to um, transfer uh, bilateral problems in, inside the structures of the European Union. At the time when Bulgaria was a candidate for, uh, for membership, uh, we made huge compromises with, with certain historical narratives of ours, uh, and uh, we needed to, uh, let's say, uh, we, we, we needed to um, somehow put our relations relations with our neighbors in a very different format, uh, which uh, coming out of a quite significant and long totalitarian uh, past, uh, which had propaganda, strong propaganda narratives, it was not an easy task to do. Uh, I'm afraid that our friends in Skopje are coming out of such a period as well. What Bulgaria wants uh, right now is uh, by no means uh, neither uh, impossible nor unusual. 
uh, what we uh, what we want is I mean I can I can just put a couple of things on on the table and and you'll see that uh, they they're perfectly reasonable. First, we we would like our uh, friends and colleagues in Skopje to uh, to send a note to the United Nations um, practically. Um, saying and guaranteeing that they have no um, uh, minority or territorial claims towards Bulgaria. And it's not because we are afraid that, that our North Macedonian uh, friends and colleagues are going to have some, uh, let's say, malicious intentions, but because the name North Macedonia includes, uh, you know that Macedonia is a geographical term, mm, sure. uh, it, and it has three three geographical components. It's Aegean Macedonia, which is uh, in, in, in Greece. Uh, it's Vardar Macedonia, Macedonia, which is practically covers the, the territory which today we know as North Macedonia. And it has uh, another geographical component, which is Pirin Macedonia, which is part of the Bulgarian territorial entity. So, but, but if we look from the Aegean Macedonia north, both Vardar Macedonia and Pirin Macedonia are north. Uh, so that is why, plus, uh, of course, uh, well, the, this, this is the main, the main issue here. Uh, sending a note to the, to the United Nations saying we are good neighbors and we have no minority or uh, territorial claims towards Bulgaria is not anything unusual that's been done, uh, done in the past by other countries and is a clear statement which, uh, which both the, the, the president in, in Skopje and the prime minister in Skopje have declared many times verbally. Uh, so why do they refuse to do it formally? Uh, I don't know. Uh, that's, a, that's a different question and we should discuss that with them. Then when it comes to the language formula to, to be used, uh, to use the, the formula mentioning the official language of the country, uh, that is also something which, uh, a formula which exists in the negotiation uh, framework of Montenegro with the European Union. Uh, again, nothing unusual, not a precedent, something completely uh, reasonable. And the third thing which, which Bulgaria wants is to, um, to basically have a chapter in the negotiation framework with the European Union uh, for, for uh, North Macedonia, which will uh, enlist uh, certain, um, certain unsolved, unsolved uh, uh, issues um, with, with Bulgaria uh, that need to be solved during the process of negotiations. Uh, and that is a formula which exists in the, in the negotiation fr framework with Serbia vis-a-vis -vis Kosovo. Again, okay. nothing, not, not a precedent, not, uh, not, not anything unusual. Uh, and it is clear that we do have certain bilateral issues which we need to solve throughout the time, uh, and they are reflected in the good neighborly relations uh, agreement between North Macedonia and Bulgaria. There's a, there's a common history uh, committee, uh, which we, uh, joint history committee, sorry, uh, which we uh, were basically throughout, uh, throughout the debate, uh, certain, certain practical, uh, practical issues, historical issues, which exist be, between the two countries uh -huh. could, could be resolved without, without any problem. Okay. Dan Daniel, I, I would love to continue talking about this. And I, I think, you know, uh, there, there, we can actually do a podcast and a discussion between... Two more sentences, Thibault, on this, on this issue. Uh, unfortunately, the government in Skopje behaves the, in the way that uh, it, look like, it looks like uh, Bulgaria is going to be uh, is a candidate for EU membership, not, not Skopje. 
and they mm. obviously count on uh, external pressure on the Bulgarian government on, on this issue, which is a bad calculation, I think, and it doesn't uh, take into account the, the Bulgarian standing in the, uh, in the Euro-Atlantic structures and the level of consolidation in the Bulgarian society. Okay, thank you very much, Danielle. And as I said, we, we knew that we were not going to solve the issue. It was great that we could uh, hear your uh, your take on this on, on this issue. And uh, uh, that's, that's very useful. Thank you. But uh, the reason why I was trying to press on you uh, is because I would like the, the few minutes, very few minutes that we have remaining, I would like to talk about the larger uh, uh, question of Bulgaria's position in a region that is becoming once again an, are an arena basically for geopolitical competition. So Bulgaria is pretty much sitting at the crossroads of at least three different influences, the West, Russia and Turkey, uh, in an area that is a, a key entry point into Europe from the southeast. Uh, Bulgaria sits next door to Turkey. It was part of the Ottoman Empire. There is still a number of unresolved issues with Ankara, uh, including on the Turkish ethnic minority, but there's also uh, investment coming in uh, and out of Bulgaria, uh, Turkish investment. So it's it's, it's a, a complicated relationship, let's say. There's another complicated relationship with Russia, uh, dating back from the days of the 19th century with Pan-Slavism, obviously the Soviet Union as well. And today, Russian remain, retains a strong soft power in Bulgaria. It's got a relatively good image uh, compared to other uh, countries in the region. There's Turkstream. Uh, Russians are the biggest foreign real estate owners in Bulgaria. Lukoil is the largest company operating in the, in, in the country. Of course, there is also China knocking loudly on the door. And finally, there's the West. So Bulgaria is a member of NATO, has been a member of NATO since 2004. Prime Minister Borisov seems to get along very well, both with German Chancellor Angela Merkel and French uh, President Emmanuel Macron. As the world is becoming more dangerous and as relationship between the, these, these worlds or blocks that I've just described are, are becoming more complicated, how do you see Bulgaria's position evolving in, in, in what is a key region for Europe's geopolitical stability? Uh, well, again, quite a, quite a large uh, topic, but very quickly, yes, Bulgaria, of course, is a uh, frontline country if we, if we consider uh, the, the, um, the transatlantic alliance. And, uh, and the European Union, in all the senses, uh, Bulgaria stands uh, in at the, 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 front, uh, the front line of uh, both the European Union and NATO. Um, we have experienced uh, that and have rendered ourselves an account for that very well during the 2015-2016 uh, um, migration waves. Uh, and, and also, uh, I mean, on the other side of the Black Sea is Russia. And that's not an easy neighbor as well, uh, to put it mildly. So uh, we do have uh, a lot of responsibilities towards, uh, towards our alliances. Uh, and uh, for sure, um, in the future, from uh, what we all see, uh, the division between the democratic community and, the, uh, and those countries who have chosen the path of uh, personalized autocracies or some sort of state capitalism, uh, that, that division, that cleavage uh, is going to, uh, to grow larger and larger. And having in mind that uh, we will face more and more problems, Bulgaria needs to stand firmly on the, on the side of the free world. Um, quite often in, that, in this geopolitical 
uh, division, uh, I hear um, former colleagues and now during international discussions, I, I hear quite often that we need to be realistic and we need to apply some kind of uh, realpolitik approach. Uh, to me, uh, the true realism in the international relations is the understanding that when, when countries interact with each other on the international scene, they don't exchange only um, capital goods and, and people, they exchange also the way how their institutions function. Uh, the, uh, the foreign policy of a country is a projection of its internal uh, social architecture and institutional architecture. Having said that, uh, we uh, observe for years already malicious uh, influences uh, coming in from, uh, from the Kremlin and from, from other uh, from other directions, and we need to uh, start looking at ourselves and seeing where democracies fail to block those malicious influences. The first one which comes to mind is always the, the so-called weaponized corruption, which is practiced by the, the uh, autocratic and authoritarian regimes throughout the world uh, in the democratic systems. If democracies um, claim that uh, transparency and accountability are fundamental principles of the democratic uh, social architecture and institutional architecture, then we need to start applying them way, way more rigorously, uh, not only uh, for the benefit of our societies, but also for, for the benefit of uh, preserving our democracies and protecting our democracies from malicious influences. Uh, here we can include the disinformation and propaganda efforts uh, which are applied by those autocratic regimes uh, and by all the whole bouquet of hybrid tactics uh, that we can see uh, throughout the, the geopolitical field. Okay. On the disinfo uh, uh, issue, uh, uh, it is great that you mentioned this because IRI has uh, a project that is specifically uh, targeted at disinformation, at basically uh, showing disinformation when it happens. And uh, we have a great project, specific project, uh, that is uh, a dashboard that we have put up on the Bulgarian elections, which I invite you uh, and you, the listeners, to check out at iribeaconproject.org. Uh, I am quite familiar with it. <laughs> I, I know you are. That's why I'm mentioning it. Daniel, before before we finish, before I let you go, I would like to uh, get you to go through our Q&A lightning session, which is very short, very simple. I'm going to ask you very th three very quick questions. I'm asking you three very short answers. Yes, no. Are you ready to go? Absolutely, yes. Okay. Question number one. Will Boyko Borisov still be prime minister after this election? Highly possible. Question number two, if Boyko Borisov is a new prime minister, who is he going to govern with? That is a huge unknown. No one can say that. that that's, uh, that's a fortune teller's uh, task, and I'm not ready to, <laughs> to embark on that, Jen. I'm going to give you that joker then. In uh, question number three, in Bulgaria's current environment, what is its most valuable ally and what is its most troublesome neighbor? Uh, well, there, there are troublesome neighbors. The most troublesome neighbor is probably Russia. And uh, when it comes to the, to the allies, we do have, we don't, it's not only one, we have neighbors as Greece and Romania, which are friends and allies in, in the EU and NATO. Uh, and I would mention them, them both as, as very reliable and, and incredible partners. Okay. And one last question for the road. What book do you recommend to our listeners if they want to learn more about Bulgarian history and politics? 
Well, there, there are probably several which, which I would recommend. Uh, the first one which comes to mind is uh, a study by uh, Stephen Runciman, uh, A History of the First Bulgarian Empire. Uh, that, that's uh, actually the study which made Runciman a world-renowned uh, historian and an academic. Uh, then, then we have uh, a book by Mercia McDermott. Uh, it's called The Apostle of Freedom. Uh, that's, that's about one of our national heroes, Vasilevsky, who, whose portrait is literally in every institution. Uh, there's, a, there's a book by Stephen Constant uh, called Foxy Ferdinand. That's also that, that's a book about uh, the Bulgarian political environment after the, the liberation from the Ottoman Empire. And maybe the last one, which I can uh, which I can mention is the uh, a book called called Crown of Thorns, uh, which is by an author uh, called Stefan Gruev. Again, again, a post uh, uh, quite contemporary, but b before before the communist period, uh, Bulgarian history, history uh, which is very very valuable, I believe. Thank you very much, Daniel Blagodaria, for taking part into this show and for uh, giving us uh, ideas on how to refurbish our libraries, which always needs to be done. Uh, many thanks also to you on the receiving end uh, of this talk for listening to this podcast. If you enjoy the experience as much as I do uh, on my side, then you should definitely check out uh, our Twitter account, which is at Think Atlantic, and uh, you can also follow at IRI Global. It is also cool. And more particularly, I would like link to this show uh, to invite you to follow uh, Daniel's Twitter account, uh, uh, to follow his work uh, during the election and beyond. The address is at Daniel Mitov. Uh, if you are interested in the Bulgarian elections, I also give you once again the uh, website of our colleagues at the Beacon Project, who do really a great uh, work to fight against disinformation on the web. Uh, there's this great dashboard, uh, which is available at uh, www.iribeaconproject.org. And of course, while you're on the web, I definitely invite you to check out IRI's website at iri.org to check out what we do to promote democracy uh, and uh, dialogue on both sides of the Atlantic, including, of course, in Bulgaria. This is the end of this episode of Think Atlantic, the podcast that provides you with thought leadership for the future of the transatlantic space. Special thanks to uh, Joanna Rohozinska for her help and guidance in preparing this podcast. And of course, many thanks to the usual suspects, Stanislava Stahova, Hannah Mont, and Sam Johannes, who really do a wonderful work to produce this series and allow me to share the thoughts of our great guests uh, uh, with you. And that obviously includes our guest of today. We will be back in two weeks with a special episode on the uh, Eastern Partnership. In the meantime, if you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show. And of course, share it, share it with your friends and colleagues. We love it when we get more listeners. Thanks. Talk to you soon.